How can God exist when there is so much evil in the world? How can Christians believe in a good and loving God when people suffer? Find out in this episode how the reality of evil in our world is actually one of the greatest pieces of evidence for God's existence. Thank you for listening to Truth and Faith. We are still in the series where I explain why I am a Christian. This series is about sharing the evidence I've found over roughly a three-year journey of seeking the truth for myself to know whether or not Christianity could be proven true. This series is broken into three sections. Does God exist? Did Jesus rise again? And is the Bible true? We are still exploring the first question, does God exist? In the last episode, we introduced the idea of human conscience and how this is a great proof for God's existence. The reason we had to start talking about human conscience is because oftentimes someone may reject to the existence of God by saying there's too much evil in the world for them to believe in God. We needed to learn about the reality of the conscience before we keep talking about evil. In this episode, we will now address the problem of evil head on. But I hope to show you it turns the tables around to be one of the greatest pieces of evidence to prove that God really does exist. Again, in my personal opinion, this is one of the best ways to see that God really does exist, is to look at evil. I hope this is helpful to you. If it is, please subscribe and visit truthinfaith.com for more. God bless. Okay, but let's keep talking about evil. But what about all this evil? We, we do have to do something with it because we teach and preach a good and loving God and yet people suffer every day. People die every day. How do the two go together? Well, again, let's think about this logically. When you ask about evil, what are you assuming is also real? If you throw out at me, this is evil, what are you assuming also is real? Good. That's good. So if you talk in terms like this was evil, well, you're assuming the opposite of evil is true. Do y'all get what I'm saying? If you say so-and-so suffered, well, then you're assuming that there's such a place where you don't suffer or a condition where you're not suffering. If you say someone lost, then you're assuming there is such a thing as you can win. You have to assume the opposite's true. So if someone throws out, I can't believe in God because of all this evil. Wait a minute. When you say evil, so you're acknowledging that there's such a thing as good and evil, right? If I argue God cannot exist because this world has too much evil, then I'm actually assuming and admitting I believe in real concepts of good and evil. Again, we ask this question, but where do these notions of something being good or something being evil come from in the first place? Where do we get our intuitive standard of judging something as evil or good? Now here's the irony of that question. What about all this evil and, and you want me to believe in God? There's something very ironic about that question though. The very second you bring up that God cannot exist because there's too much evil, you actually tip your hand that there are real, objective, moral, absolute ideas of good and evil. 
The second you do that, you've admitted, you may not know you've admitted it, but you're admitting that there really must be a type of higher power that exists. Now, I'm going to explain this in a little bit more detail, but this I want to share with you that if someone throws back out, I can't believe in God because of all this evil, they've actually undone their own objection, if you just think about it. Because, again, I can't believe in God because of evil. Well, let's just talk about evil for a moment. What are you calling evil? Well, children suffering, dying from leukemia at the age of five. Yeah, I'd agree, that's evil. So-and-so murdered someone. Yeah, I'd agree, that's evil too. 9-11, yes, that was evil. Okay, but if we're talking for a moment, I would ask back to this person, but where do you get your standard for calling something evil or good? Where do you get that very standard in the first place? Do y'all get what I'm saying now? That's the part we're going to attack to prove God. If you render a judgment that an event that happened was evil or good, you're admitting, you're tipping your hand that you operate by some standard to judge things as good or evil. And that's what we're going to go for. The question actually provides the answer. Because if you ask and bring up evil, I can't believe in God because of evil, but if you bring up evil, you're admitting that there's such a thing as real good and real evil in your judgment. If you admit that there's good and evil, you're admitting there's a type of moral law. Then you're admitting there has to be a type of moral law giver. So let me back up for a moment. I know this is getting in the weeds a little. Someone says, I can't believe in God because of all this evil. Okay, you're admitting that there's evil, which means you must admit there's good versus evil. Yes. Okay, where do you get your standard, though, for judging something as good or evil? They may say, well, I just know. We just know. But again, that's my whole point. That's conscience. You don't know where that conscience comes from. I do. It comes from God. God put that in us. And what I'm trying to argue is that's a very proof for God. Because without God, you have no basis for claiming anything was truly good or truly evil. It just was something that happened. And it either worked out for you or it didn't. But if it worked out for you, it might have not worked out for someone else. You thought it was good, they thought it was evil. There's no real standard. So theologians have actually come up with an argument. It's called the moral argument for God's existence. It says this, If God does not exist, then objective moral values do not exist. There would be no real objective basis for any values. Also, let me define this. When I'm saying objective, this is what I mean. We're arguing that there are moral standards. There are rights and wrongs. When I say they're objective, that means they apply to every single human being on all over the world, whether they believe in them or not. So I'm saying murder is wrong. That's an objective moral wrong, meaning an American should not murder, a Chinese person shouldn't murder, an Iraqi person shouldn't murder, no one should murder. That is wrong. Well, what about someone who doesn't think it's wrong? doesn't matter if they believe in it or not. That is a moral standard that we intuitively know I should not murder someone. If they don't believe in it, again, we go back to what we said earlier, even our legal system has a process to try to understand, well, they're crazy. They're off their rocker mentally because we know that this is wrong. So I go back to this then. If God does not exist, 
we have no basis for claiming anything is truly right or wrong. There would be no real standard. But our experience in life and our intuition and our conscience teaches us objective moral values do exist. Meaning we know it's wrong to lie, murder, steal. We know this stuff. Therefore, God must exist. Now that's really oversimplistic. You, uh, honestly, if uh, an atheist walked in here that, that kind of you know, knew some things, they could find some holes in that. But that's a very simple way to think about, though. Just thinking, think about morality. If you think about morality, God must exist. Why? Because without God, there is no real morality. There's just stuff that happened. But because we know intuitively through our conscience there is real morals out there, right and wrong, then it stands to reason that, well, that came from somewhere. Who gave us that inner awareness that something's right and wrong? The argument is it come from God. But if God, why evil? Again, if you have no God, you have no such thing as good or evil. You would only have events that happen. These events were either beneficial to you or they took away from you. But you would have no real basis to call it good or bad. It's just either it worked for me or it didn't work for me. When we talk about evil, holocaust, rape, murder, we're actually assuming something very big. We're assuming that, that there is some type of basis or standard of judgment to call something as being good or evil. But again, just think about this for a moment with some common sense. When we're using language like this was good or this was bad, this was right or this was wrong, we have to ask ourselves, where is my standard of measurement coming from in the first place to call something good or bad, right or wrong? And I'm using big examples like the Holocaust. Who in their right mind, and you've got people out there that would, I mean, let's be honest, but who intuitively in their right mind would say, I think that Hitler exterminating millions of Jews was a great thing for humanity? Who would really say that? I mean, pro-Nazi people did, but again, there's something wrong there. We intuitively know, and how can I prove this? The very basis of World War II, right? Why did millions of men answer the call to go fight and die? Because they said, this is evil, this is wrong, and we are willing to risk our lives to stop Hitler because he's evil and he's trying to exterminate an entire race of people and that's wrong. So millions of people go and they answer that call because they knew this is not right. But what standard of judgment or basis does an atheist have to call anything good or evil? I found that atheists, not Christians, actually have a bigger problem to answer when it comes to evil. So one of my professors tried to turn that to me. Well, I can't believe in a good and loving God because of all this evil. And that bothered me at first. I thought, man, yeah, I mean, why doesn't God do something about this? This is a problem. Why do people suffer? How can I believe in God and there's people have bad days and kids die and there's wars and there's terrorist attacks? Well, but again, actually, it's the other way around. If someone is an atheist and doesn't believe in God, I've come to the conclusion they have a much bigger problem addressing evil than I do as a Christian. Evil is actually one of our indirect evidences for God. Remember we talked about direct versus indirect? My argument is evil, if you acknowledge and admit evil, you're sort of passively 
indirectly acknowledging there must be God. Because we instinctively know in our souls when something is right or wrong. We may not always listen to it. Like Ricky said, there's free will. But we know you have a choice to either violate your conscience or listen to your conscience. But the point I'm getting at is there is a conscience. We know this. We know murder's wrong, okay? Our criminal system assumes such a standard as right and wrong. Or else how could we judge a criminal as being guilty or not? Worthy of prison or not? We would have no standard to judge that. There are truths for right and wrong that apply to all people regardless of where they live. If you didn't have them, human civilization would just collapse. We would all kill and steal from each other until we just don't exist. But the big question, okay, but so what? What does all this mean? Well, again, think about this. If you assume such a thing as right versus wrong, good versus evil, you're assuming that there is an absolute standard for judging good and evil. But the question becomes, where did that standard come from in the first place? Where did our notions in our minds about calling something good and evil come from? Who gave it to us? If you assume there is a higher moral law, which experience says there is, then you have to assume there must be some type of higher moral law giver out there. Someone gave us this moral law that's in our souls, that teaches us through conscience this is right and this is wrong. Paul said that's what Paul said in Romans 2. God's put the law in the heart, on conscience. Here's an example of if you have no God, there is no real evil. Let's take the Holocaust, for example. I can't believe in a God because blank. Let's say the Holocaust. I can't believe in your God because of the Holocaust. How could God allow the Holocaust? Let's think about it for a moment. Let's pretend, let's have a little conversation. I'll talk like I'm both Christian and atheist, okay? So the atheist says, I can't believe in your God because of the Holocaust. That's evil. How could a good, loving God allow the Holocaust? Then I would respond back, okay, but what makes you say the Holocaust was evil? Let's just talk about evil in the first place. Where do you get the idea that the Holocaust was evil? Hitler thought that he was doing humanity a service. Hitler thought he was creating the superior race, and the Jews drew the short stick. They didn't fit the bill, so he's going to get rid of them, re-educate some, and create the superior race. Hitler thought he was doing a good thing. How is it then that I would say to this atheist, before I answer your question about, I do have an answer, hear me clearly, I do have an answer to give you for how I can believe in a good and loving God and yet there's so much evil. But before I answer that question, I want to first address the very issue that you brought up about the Holocaust being evil. Where does an atheist get their basis to claim that the Holocaust was evil? Well, he would probably be let to have to say something like, well, we just know that it's evil. It's wrong. It's wrong to murder people. It's wrong to try to commit genocide against a race of people. But, but Hitler didn't think so. How is it that you know it's really wrong and evil? How is it that we know the Holocaust was truly an evil act? Are you, if, if they say, well, we just know that it was evil, then you can press back on the atheist, okay, So now, are you admitting to me that you believe in such a thing as real right and real wrong that applies to any person regardless of their background, religion, or belief system? If they say yes, they've tipped their hand, like I said earlier, that 
They're admitting that there is such a thing out there in the universe as right and wrong that applies to any human being regardless of where they came from. How do we know that? Because they're, they're turning to history and looking at Hitler and saying he was evil. Hitler didn't think he was evil. Well, well we know he was evil. You can't try to conquer Europe and destroy the Jews. You can't do that. Who says you can't do that? If you don't believe in God, Hitler, he thought it was okay. Who's, who says he's wrong? Do y'all get what I'm getting at here? So the atheist is left with a big problem in my mind now. He either has to admit that there's real right and wrong, which, which now he's working his way up to admitting that there's God, or he has to admit, which would be crazy, but he might admit, well, there isn't real right and wrong. Okay, so you can't say Hitler was wrong. So I just want to make that clear before I answer this question of a good, loving God and evil coexisting, that for you to even bring that question up, you're having to admit that it's actually possible God exists, or else you have no basis to call Hitler evil, Stalin evil, 9-11 evil. They just weren't good for Americans, but they were good for Osama bin Laden and good for Hitler, right? But because we believe in a higher standard that applies to both Hitler and the American fighting in the trenches of World War II, then we can look at Hitler and say that was evil, and the soldier was honorable and valiant. But without God, I would argue Hitler was honorable and valiant to Martin Heidegger, the German philosopher, but he was evil to the American. But who's right and who's wrong? I guess history decides, right? Whoever won was right. Well, that doesn't work. We don't live that way. We know that Hitler was wrong. Again, that's the atheist dilemma. The atheist has to admit that there's such a thing as real evil, meaning that applies to every human being, or that there's not. If he says that real evil does exist, then they have to try to define where they're getting their standard for calling something good or evil. What basis do they have for that standard? If he says there is no real evil, again, you can undo that, which is simply asking back, okay, then can I murder you right now? If they're in their right mind, I stress in their right mind, but if they're in their right mind, they should intuitively know, no, you cannot murder me. You cannot steal my stuff. You cannot take my family and put them in slavery or do what, no, you can't do these things. Who says I can't? If you don't believe in God and you don't want to believe that there's real standards that apply to every human being out there, then we really have nothing else to talk about because can't I murder you right now? Well, they're probably going to say, no, you can't. Well, then go back to that. Okay, why can't I? Because we know murder's wrong. No, let's keep talking about this. Why is it that we know murder's wrong? Well, we just do. <laughs> but that's my point. That's my proof for God. That's conscience. And I'm trying to say to you that that is indirect evidence for God because we have to acknowledge we got our conscience from somewhere. We all know we have one. We may choose to not listen to it, but we know we have one. We can all look at history and look at evil men and say they were evil. But how can we say that they were evil? God teaches us through conscience that they are evil. Now, what's ironic is the atheist actually has to borrow from God to make their claims against God. That's weird, right? But I, I really believe that with all my soul. An atheist has to borrow from God's world to make their arguments that they don't want to believe in God. Because again, in order to talk intelligently about good versus evil, the atheist has to borrow from God's existence to make the claim that there is such a real thing as good versus evil. 
or else they're just simply left to admit that there is no real evil. It's just stuff, and it worked out for you or it didn't. But our conscience and experience teach us otherwise. We don't live that way. Well, what about the question, though? If God does exist, why is there so much evil? The Bible does answer this question. Genesis 3 is where it starts, sin. Adam and Eve fell in the garden, launched all of their uh, humanity, the rest that would follow after them, and the world itself is cursed with sin. But why doesn't God do anything about it, though? Well, here's the thing. He is and he will. The problem is he's not operating on our mental timetable. See, you and I, if you're like me, when there's a problem, we want to rush in like, let's fix it. So you and I might say, well, if I were in charge of this whole universal operation here, uh, I'd never let anyone suffer and die from cancer. Or I would never have let Hitler even be born. Or I would never. But there's a lot going on there. It goes back to what Ricky said. But God wanted a loving relationship with people. People who love him back. See, I could create a world where there is no evil, there is no suffering, but I have to create robots, not humans. I have to pre-program people to never sin. But how is that real love? If I pre-program my children to obey me 100% of the time, you may say, well, that'd be awesome. I'd love to have 200% obedient children. Actually, ironically enough, I would argue as parents, you don't want that, and here's why. Because if I could pre-program my children, let's say I give them a pill that causes them to obey me faithfully the rest of their life, 200%, I wouldn't choose that, and here's why. I would never know if they ever really loved me or not. Because what's the real proof of love? You, you are faced with the choice, like Ricky said, I want to obey mom and dad or I don't. And when I choose to obey mom and dad, I'm proving my love for them. I showed them respect. I obeyed them. And... If I chose not to, I exercise my free will to say, sorry, I don't want to listen to you right now. But I'm telling you, as a parent, I would rather have a child who has the free will choice to show love to his father or not. Because then when he does listen to his father, that warms my heart to know my son really loves me. But if I knew that I pre-programmed him to always obey me, I've got a robot. I have a pet. I don't have a, a son. I have a pet. That's, I would argue, a lot of how what God did with us. God created. He knew these people are going to mess it up. They're going to sin. But I love them, and I want them to love me back. I'm going to give them conscience. I'm going to give them free will. I'm going to give them the tree of life in the garden, tree of knowledge and good and evil. I mean, have you ever wondered, why did God even put the tree in the garden in the first place? Because if he'd have never put the tree there, they couldn't have sinned, right? Well, but free will. Because if God had never put the tree in the garden and Adam and Eve never had the choice to sin or not sin, how could they really show their love for God? So they sinned, made the wrong choice, but yet God then gets to show his love for us. I will still step in and save these people despite their rebellion against me. And so now when people put their faith in Jesus and we live for Jesus, we obey him, we're exercising love for God. Again, the alternative is you have robots. You you just have pre-programmed robots. But again, why does God allow all this evil? It doesn't mean he wants the evil, but it means that he allows people to live their lives, exercise free will, to obey him or not. But God does say one day he is going to do away with it, right? 
We read the book of Revelation, new heaven, new earth, and all the evil's gone. There is no more evil, suffering, and death. The problem is, though, we operate on an immediate, like, I see a problem, I want to fix it now. And I think at times, I'm guilty of this too, I have often questioned, God, why do you allow all this stuff? Why do you allow things to just carry on, and it's so evil, it's so wicked? Well, I read verses like 2 Peter 3.9. If you read 2 Peter 3.9, Peter says, God is being patient with people. In a way, God's allowing people to spit in his face so that more people can turn and get saved. Imagine if God cut it off right now, in this moment. How many people do each of us know that would go to hell? But what happens if God waits five more years? There's five more years for us to try to reach them for Christ, right? What happens if he waits 20 more years? There's 20 more years for that person to turn and come to Christ. 2 Peter 3.9 says that's what God's doing. Now, he does have a, a time when he is going to say, uh, this is it, we're, we're done with this program. I don't know when that is. But Peter says, don't worry about it. Just be faithful and understand that God gets rid of it one day. But the reason he hasn't right now is because he wants people saved. He wants people to come to him. And if he were to stop all the evil right now, he would have to judge all these lost people. God has given humanity many, many warnings that he's coming and judgment is coming. The problem is humanity ignores these warnings and lives in sin. Think about Noah, for example. He built that ark for arguably 120 years. For 120 years, Noah was preaching God's judgment to come, but salvation can be found. And no one believed. So I would say back to that person that says, well, what about God and evil? Well, depends on how you look at it. Because you could say, how could God flood the universe and destroy all these untold countless people? You mean to tell me he only saved one family? I would argue, well, it's a wonder that he saved any single human being at all. Because we're so wicked. And then, not to mention, for 120 years, God was preaching to humanity, a day's coming, there's a flood coming. But what did they say? There's no such thing as a flood. There's no such thing as God. Like, you're crazy, Noah. They, that, that's on them. That's not on God. I hope that that was clear, and I mean that because for me, that ultimately is one of the biggest proofs for God. The science helps me. It helps me understand evolution and what's wrong with it. But to be honest with you, when I was presented this claim of I can't believe in God because of evil, I thought, man, let's think about that. The very question itself is sort of a proof for God. Because if you don't believe in God, how can you even have such a concept as good or evil? And the second you acknowledge that there is real good and evil, you're forced to acknowledge there might be a, a higher power out there. Um, to summarize where we're at, I found in my journey that we have all the indirect evidence we need to see God. The evidence in the apparent order and intentional design of the universe. There's evidence in the logic of things. There's evidence from morality. There's such a thing as right and wrong. So I believe God is the only logical explanation to explain why life exists at all, why we have good versus evil. How did the universe even get here? Why are we here? Evolution and atheism, I found, actually only leads to a lot more questions. Because again, I stress, if someone believes in evolution for the cause for life, we went through that, but again, there's so many questions there. How did evolution get started? Where did the first cell come from in the first place to start evolution? Remember Richard Dawkins believed it was a higher alien species out there. 
Well, even they're left to believe in some higher something that caused it. Why not God? Good versus evil. Again, that was my thing was, you know what? There is evil and it stinks, but that is actually a big proof that God exists. So I'll just end on this note. It's We know this as Bible-believing Christians, but I had someone ask me, but why don't more people believe then? You're telling me it's obvious that God exists. Why don't more people believe? Well, that is a good question. The Bible answers that too, though. The reason people don't believe is because of sin. Paul says that even though we have that conscience within us, he also says in the same book of Romans that in our sin we suppress the truth. The word in Greek for suppress the truth, it's giving the image of like you're pushing down on something, trying to keep it from coming up. So my argument would be, why don't more people believe in God? Because they don't want to believe in God. We don't want there to be a God. Because what happens to me as soon as I admit that God exists or that Jesus really rose from the dead? Now I have a big choice to make. I can either bow the knee to that higher power and live my life for him or say no and be judged by him. Well, what's easier to do? Remove the guilt. How do I remove the guilt? Just don't believe in it. Just say, well, the Christians are wrong. The Bible's wrong. Jesus was wrong. Oh, the scientists tell me that there's another explanation? Okay, I'll believe that. We run to the things that remove our guilt. Does it make sense? So I hope that was uh, helpful to you all. Uh, That's all I have on our lesson this evening. Thank you for watching. If this has been helpful to you, please like and share it and consider subscribing to our channel. Join us next time as we begin to examine the evidence for Did Jesus Rise from the Dead?